Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam with the Back Patio Network, and as always, I'm joined with or by Mike Atkins. Yep, with by I'm here regardless of uh, what what words you use to introduce me. It's Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. The guy sitting on the other side of the computer screen. One of these days, we're gonna have a live recording. We gotta get it. We gotta get it in one one day. It would. Yeah, we've only seen each other once. That's a fun fact. Um, like in in real life, in person. Well, we had made plans, and then the pandemic hit, and now we, here we are a year later. So we're gonna we're gonna hang out soon, though, right? Yeah, definitely. I'm all vaxxed. Yeah, you know, we're gonna be good, ready to go. It's gonna be awesome. That would be pretty fun. Tonight, um, we are covering in an hour episode, two episodes as always of My Hero Academia, episodes ninety seven and ninety eight, which were much more creatively titled than the previous two. These episodes cover the manga chapters 207 through 213 a much bigger chunk than usual um and adam had a, a little bit of confusion over our our uh viewed episodes this yeah, week I you did. care to tell the audience a little bit about what i happened? got really like i was bummed out because i watched uh, 98 on monday and i and immediately afterwards i went to watch 99 and it wasn't there and i'm like what is going on and so i search it google it and it's like it doesn't come out until next week and so i message adkins and i'm like hey man what are we going to do? Like, do you want to have like a bye week or, or do you want to record a short episode? Cause it's not 99 is not coming out until later. And he's like, well, I'm pretty sure I watched two episodes. So what about 97? And I guess for some weird reason, I decided to watch that episode when I normally wouldn't have, like I normally save them the night before we record. And so when I went to watch it, there was just one and I totally forgot about 97. It was funny too, because for a moment I was in the movie theater um, when he texted oh, me no. these things and there was, <laughs> there was nobody there. So I had my phone out. And um, Man, what movie were you seeing? I saw Spiral. I took my dad to see Spiral. He's a big fan of the Saw movies. Oh, okay, okay. So anyway, um, the his message, Adam's messages hit my phone, and I kind of had a moment of panic because there is a tremendous amount of believability to us, the the hosts of the AMP, not paying attention to episode release dates or counts because I think for both of the first two seasons we were like, oh snap, uh. It's the finale. Yeah, yeah, that definitely happens. <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, dang, did. But then I was like, but wait a minute. I know I watched two episodes. Um, so I was just like, you're confused. I mean, partially, it is true that episode 99 does come out on June 6th. That's it. That's normal. Like that isn't a week <laughs> that's, between. That's or just anything. the right so schedule. We're all good. Yeah. They, they must have uh, they must have fired the guy that came up with the titles for 95 and 96. It must have. I mean, you, you maybe you get away with 95. But 96, man. <laughs> right? On. 97 just, is appropriately titled Early Bird. Early Bird. And they say it. It's like uh, I, I contribute some to uh, another pod, a podcast called the Turtle Recall Podcast. It's a rewatch of the 1987 uh, original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series. And they have um, fun little like sound bites for certain things. And I finally convinced them that they should have a sound bite for when a character in the show says the phrase Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um and they, they finally had one made, which was super fun. Uh, it doesn't happen very frequently, but when it does, it's like, oh, they said the thing. And uh, one of the characters, uh, I believe that it was uh, Tokage who says uh, the early bird gets the worm in episode 97. I believe you're right. I think you are right. Man, do we need sound bites? Is that something we need? Is that like what makes a podcast official? I don't think we've ever had them. So I don't, we, you know, I listen to a lot of other podcasts and some have like music playing in the background, which I've never been a fan of. If you, if it's just like a, conversation podcast like ours is i don't need that extra noise um, what's really weird is when they record it without the music and then they put the music in the background and so they don't talk at the pace of the music and it's clear that they right, weren't right. listening to it and it like it messes my brain up really bad when people do that 
yeah, it's all done in post. Um, I have a love hate relationship with uh, with podcasts that insert like audio clips from the shows that you're talking about. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I could take or leave sound bites. I just don't have the ability to to create neat and unique sound bites that that we could use. But if they were made, they're easy enough to slot in. So it's true. So listeners, let us know. Do we need sound bites? And if we do, what do you want to hear? And can you make that? Because <laughs> we cannot. But let's jump into uh, 97, Early Bird. This is the O Squad, Bakugo, Jiro, Sero, and Sato versus uh, Togaru, Kamakiri, Setsuna, Tokage, Kojiro, Bondo, and Yosetsu Awase. And I mean, it pretty much like starts right off the bat with Sero setting up some traps. He's like taping up this whole little era. Uh, era. He's taping up this whole little area uh, while Jiro is like trying to survey the battlefield. She's trying to get an idea of where everybody's at. And it seems like Team B is on their way to just like go head to head with Team A. Like they're discussing how they're going to face them. And uh, this is when Takage is actually, well, you know, the early bird gets the worm. Let's just go get them. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be an awesome match. This is a fun one. Yeah. And they're showing a lot of respect, I think. Um, I believe Owase and Bondo are the ones who are speaking. And they're like, listen, the team that we're going up against, they're, they're not slumps or chumps. Uh, one of them even says we should just assume we're dead if they take the initiative and they come and get us yeah, first. I think it's Bondo, uh, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> then uh, Kamakiri is just like, let's just slash them to pieces because that's what he is. He's a slashy boy. Um, but I, I really like that they're like, listen, that team's, they're no joke and they're very well balanced. We are going to be kind of working from our heels a little bit. Um, so and it, this kind of reminded me of some of the respect that we saw between the folks who participated in the third match as well. And Vlad, of course, is continuing in his coverage uh, in lieu of the mysteriously absent present Mike, who still does jump in and do the quirk, um, the quirk highlights throughout each episode. But he points out that 1A's only win came by way of Shinso. So he's like, can you really even call that evenly matched? Which I thought was a pretty sharp point. Yeah. Uh, point, point to Vlad. Uh, now, 1A didn't like this. They begin to shout him down. <laughs> but uh, Aizawa comes over and he's just like, hey, y'all need to hush it up. And I think Kaminari is like, but this is a valid protest. And Aizawa says, Class B is working much harder coming up with plans and countermeasures. Uh, and I was like, maybe that speaks kind of badly of Class A's teacher, man. Like, I, I love you, Aizawa, but I, I feel like you got a little bit of, you, you got to take some responsibility here, man. To maybe. be fair, like, how much has Aizawa actually taught these kids? And, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. I just mean it seems like they have more been taught because they got thrown into the fight and had to learn on the go instead of Aizawa being like, in this scenario, you do this. You know what I mean? I like Aizawa, so I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt that, like, you know, obviously we don't see everything sure. because then the show would be super boring. But I think in the manga, I'm looking at it now, uh, in this, they didn't do the thing that I wish they always did, that if you, if there's an uncredited word bubble or caption, that they need to put a little scribbly face <laughs> in it. Um, but there's a spot where Aizawa is talking and he says, uh, are you planning to complain over every little failure once you go pro? Class B came up with better strategies. That much is evident. And then in the next panel, you see a bunch of disappointed 1A students and there's a thought bubble or a, a speech bubble that says, and Vlad is really showing me up, which implies that Aizawa is is taking that responsibility, yeah. is owning that he's he's got some egg on his face right now. That makes now. sense. Well, at least in the show, Monoma is like absolutely loving the fact that that Aizawa is kind of telling them down. Like, I think he gets a pretty big kick out of it. Uh, and we kind of get this transition where All Might is like, 
I like everybody. You know, I think Midnight's asking yeah. him, like, well, what do you think? And he's like, I like everyone. Uh, but he, he does say he's looking forward to seeing how Bakugo fights. And I think everybody is. Like, we we know he has said that he has some new moves. And, you know, it seems like we've been hinted at that things are different. Uh, but we, we haven't seen them yet. And so we get this flashback of Bakugo telling his team, like, just follow me. And he's not even he's not even referring to them as their real names. I think he calls Jiro ears, which is great. Yes, he does. And in the manga, it's even better because he calls her lobes. Oh, wow. And I think that that's so much more fun. <laughs> I mean, I still dislike it because Jiro's my bae, but uh, it, the, the, in the manga, he he continuously calls her lobes, and it's super funny. I think it's the first time that I've seen him do yeah, that. Yeah, I don't think we've seen him refer to her at all, actually, in the past. I don't know that we've... They've, <laughs> yeah. like, he's just, you know, he's, for the most part, continues to refer to them as underlings. I think even Sada was like, hey, can you cut that crap out? And and he just keeps going on. Like, it's Bakugo Bakugoing, where he's like, no, look, I'm the team lead. This is how we're going to do things. And Sada's like, well, what if we take a step back? Like, let's take a breath. Let's come up with a plan. And Bakugo's like, no, we're going to go after them, and this is how it's going to be, and you guys are going to support me. And so they just kind of go for it. I mean, uh, it's actually Saro that talks him out of it. It's not Sato. Uh, but Bakugo doesn't back down. That's just who he is. And it's pretty neat because he gives each of them this like glycerin, like sweat grenade and is like, all right, here's something pretty explosive. Use this if you need to. Uh, so he runs off and he, he starts getting into the action and he sees something and he asks Jiro to check it out. I think he calls her ears here again. And she's like, it's Jiro. Uh, but she, when she plugs in, it's like she's seeing these little blobs everywhere. They almost look like slugs. Yeah, and they're pieces of Tokage. Uh, so she goes into search mode, and pieces of Tokage are all over the place, and they're making all sorts of noise in every direction, which is a pretty sharp strategy. Yeah, that was uh, smart. Gotta give it to That him. was really smart. And Jiro freaks out. Uh, she realized that she's been had, um, and I think she even says it's over. Oh, no, Tokage yeah. does. Tokage's like, it's over. And it's her weird, like, disembodied mouth that does so. I have so many problems with her quirk. Uh, it's very <laughs> it, weird. Like, biologically and physiologically it makes no damn well, sense None. and it's like you see like her body pieces all over the place and you're, you're talking about how just her mouth is there I, where's her brain like how does she move that like how does how does her quirk know where the central essence of tokage is does that make sense like what who is the original you know i don't know there's some there's a lot of weirdness with that one i think it, it they kind of present it as if she's just a solid clay figure yeah no innards, no biology really to speak of outside of what you can see on the outside. The rest of it is just cut, and when it breaks off, it, it is solid throughout. And she's able to split it into like strange. 50 pieces, which is a lot to keep up with. Yeah, and that's due to some upgrade. Um, like previously, she couldn't split into that many, but um, with her with her training, she's she's able to control up to 50. It says her, her hero name is Lizardy. And her quirk is the lizard tail splitter. She can split her whole body into pieces that can move around 50 pieces. It's later explained that once they're out for so long, they just kind of die off and then uh, like reappear, regenerate. And like, it's but so some weird. of them go back to her. So uh, yeah. it, there is no way that she's not related to uh, Wrapped to Tokage from, from uh, Vigilantes. I think that that's of all the times over the course of the now 79 episode of the AMP when you've been like, so-and-so is related to this other person. This I is the one the time where time. I think you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, there's no way that she's not. I mean, her quirk's lizardy. Yeah. Right? Like, come on. That's too on the nose. She's She's got like her eye. One of her eye is just disembodied and floating, which again, that's another thing. 
I mean, it's it's not even that her body can break off into pieces. It floats. That's another thing. It's just to her. The like, two people floating? in Class B that got in on recommendation, their quirks make the least sense to us. <laughs> we have the hardest yeah. time trying to explain how these things even work. Well, and it's like I, I told Adkins before we started, that my biggest problem with it is, is that so far in the series, everything has had kind of this like sciencey explanation behind it. You know, like Bakugo's sweat is glycerin, therefore it explodes. It kind of makes sense. And like... These are not ones that I feel like they've given us any kind of idea on how they even remotely work. And because there has been this like proof that they kind of understand how quirks work, I just feel like we need to know, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping we see more. I'm sure we will. Yeah. It, and it could be us being unfair. Like, you know, we 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 want to know how these things work, but that doesn't mean that we're due the the machinations of each of these things it's just Says something you. yeah I, I i don't think that we'll do it i desperately would love to <laughs> see just, a little kidding. bit more attention paid to the house i'm with you yeah um, but i don't i think that that's just a lot of work and i think that it could possibly rob us of some really cool quirks that probably go best unexplained because then I think you're right. you could unexplain you could explain them into being lame. <laughs> so yeah, no, her, I think you're totally right. Her eye is floating. It kind of reminded me of like Mecha Freeze's eyes from Resurrection F when they're collecting his pieces after he gets resurrected by Shinron, <laughs> or Gara's sand eye um, from Naruto. Um, it's just kind of floating there, and everybody goes kind of in defense mode on one A, or they tr- they suggest that they should. So Jero, uh, Jero, uh, Jiro, Sero. Um, and Sato are all down on the ground and Sarah's just like, all right, I'm going to put up all this tape. And that way her little body bits can't get into where we are. Uh, and they invite Bakugo to do that, but he doesn't because it's Bakugo. And he probably knew better because this seemed, this seemed like a terrible idea to me. And it turned into a horrible idea because as soon as he puts up these webs, Bondo sticks his head over the ledge and just turns all of them into glue. So he basically created this spider web, um, and traps traps the three support uh heroes down there uh underneath it yeah and then on top of that jack mantis or a kamakiri comes in and he slices up all the pipes that the glued tape is stuck to and it causes all of this to come tumbling down onto like team class 1a sero sato and jiro are all under all of these pipes they're coming down and sato's got this moment where he's like all right i gotta step up protect my team and as he does this bakugo just comes out of nowhere blasts all these pipes and barrels and stuff out of the way and like totally protects them he has their back and then another attack comes in uh from jack mantis jack mantis is like all over the place he is so hyped up uh, and Jiro just gets knocked out of the way just in time. Bakugo kicks her out of the way and blasts Jack Mantis away. I mean, it's it's really impressive. He is like stupid fast in this moment, just taking care of his teammates. And he pretty much tells them like, hey, look, I leveled up. I'm, I'm here to protect you guys. I got your back. And we kind of get this moment from Midoriya and All Might talking about how like Bakugo is going to save people and that's how he's going to win. And that is his new kind of way of moving forward, you know, save people to win and win to save people is what I think he says. Yeah, because that represents kind of that dichotomy that existed between uh, Bakugo and Midoriya back when they had their little brawl where Midoriya was like, I'm going to save people and that's how we're going to win. And Bakugo was like, I'm going to win. And that is how we save people. And it, they right. seemed like they, All Might was like, those two things are the are opposite, he, uh, you know, uh, faces to the same coin. And so it's cool to see All Might say save to win or save people to win and Deku to say when to save people. 
Um, cause you see Bakugo kind of maybe understanding that or leaning into that a little bit. Um, even though it, you know, the way that he goes about saving them on occasion looks pretty goofy. Like when he just <laughs> boots Jiro out of the way, but I mean, it looked like a full on kick too. Yeah. Like it wasn't like he was being soft or gentle with her, but it's also kind of neat. Cause he shows this like really high level of trust for his teammates. Like he doesn't, I mean, he protects them. But he also lets them do their job when they need to. He doesn't try to baby them at all. Like, he's treating them like heroes. Yeah, and this kind of blows Monoma's mind, and, and I'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> I want to talk, too, about um, just some things about uh, Bondo and Jack Mantis. So Bondo's hero name is is Plamo, or P-L-A-M-O, Plamo. But yeah. in the Japanese, it's pronounced Pur- Puramo. And I looked that up, and that refers to the hobby of plastic modeling and to the products of that hobby. Um, and in the little trivia under his name in the wiki, it says that specifically his room is filled with plastic models, which is pretty cool. That is um, cool. And it, uh, and it looks like he cries when he shoots his glue. Like there's, uh, in, in the anime and in the manga, it looks like where his eyes are is where the glue comes out and it kind of leaks down a little bit, like drops when he's finished. So it looks like every time he uses his quirk, he's sad. Uh, he, he looks like a glue tube, like a tube of super glue or something. And I haven't, is he... I don't even know how to phrase this. It's, does he humanoid or is that a costume? I think that I think that his head is really like that. Okay, like, I wasn't sure if he was like uh, what? What is it? Space thirteen? I think was her name. Yeah, or their name. Uh, I I didn't know if it was like that, where it's like kind of a suit, like configuration or misconfiguration of the body kind of deal. You know? Yeah, I I think that his head is that way. Like that's not a okay. mask of any kind. Um, and then talking about Jack Mantis, his quirk is just razor sharp. He can produce blades from anywhere on his body. And I just have in parentheses. And how is he not just supposed to just, you know, just slice everybody up? Like, <laughs> what is his usefulness beyond just that? Like, if they're like, hey, Mr. Pointy Sharpie, you know, slicey dude, just go and beat up on these other kids. That's what he's going to do. He's going to cut them the hell up. <laughs> I mean, he's pretty much Wolverine. Yeah. Um, but he does, he does use it in a, you know, he kind of Ninja Turtles his way around it a bit. Like in the, in the, uh, original series, they all have these weapons, right? But they very rarely use them on, uh, any of the bad guys. They're allowed to use them on the foot soldiers only after they basically like comic book authority coded them into being robots. But anything that is biological and could bleed, the Ninja Turtles never touch with their weapons ever. Right. Uh, and so Jack Mantis is a walking, you know, a QVC commercial basically for you know uh <laughs> but wait there's more knife sets and he never really does anything with them against anything that is organic in this in this series of uh actions uh action sequences at all can you imagine what this would have looked like if he had just cut bakugo's arms off <laughs> yeah. i mean that's <laughs> how else would this end you know just he, yeah and he doesn't he's just like let's see uh recovery girl deal with that and just walks yeah. off Right. I mean, it's like an instant win. Like, do you have to have the entire student in the cage or can you just take Bakugo's hand? Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Class B wins with uh, two and a half people uh, in their jail. Yeah. I wonder, too, his hero name is Jack Mantis. Do you think that has anything to do with like Jack the Ripper? I would guess so. That seems pretty fair. And he's got kind of like a dark cloak around him, which is uh, an aesthetic that's been uh, associated with Jack the Ripper before. I definitely vibes that I got, which I just thought was kind of a weird connection for a hero. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I like to kind of get back around to Monoma's what he's seeing. We keep getting he's doing Horikoshi is doing the Horikoshi thing where he keeps moving back and forth between, you know, present and past. 
Uh, and so we keep going back to this flashback, the original planning session of the Class 1A folks. And uh, at the end of it, he says, you know, when you guys are in danger, I'll save you. And then later on, he'll say, and then when I'm in danger, you guys will save me. But we don't get that for another few minutes because he's not in danger yet. Um, but he he is thanked by Jiro and he just tells her to shut up and find them because they got away. Um, and you you hear him talking out loud. He says it doesn't matter if it's class or not. I've decided I will have complete victory in every fight. Uh, four to zero, no injuries. And this I think is still deeply rooted in the fact that that's kind of how he's always wanted things to be. And it keeps not being that way for him. So he's still trying to get it to work out that way. And I think this, this might be the first time where it actually happens. Cause you remember he was talking that kind of game before the sports fest and Todoroki didn't use his fire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so he's right. all ticked off about that. Uh, so there are all these instances where he, you know, he gets captured by the villains at the summer camp. Uh, so he, he's not come out, he gets captured by the sludge monster and, and gets saved by a quirkless chump, you know, like there are all these things where he's just hasn't had that 100% all me kind of moment. Uh, and he kind of gets it here. I mean, they do win uh, four to zero with relatively minor, if any injuries. Uh, but it's also a product of teamwork, which I think also hints maybe at what we had talked about or what I had mentioned to you, the guys from go beyond pot are kind of leaning towards with regards to the future of hero society is that it won't be about number one or number 220, but it'll be about, you know, these heroes working together in, in significant ways. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned Monoma not being able to kind of like take this. I mean, his brain breaks with the amount of teamwork that he's seeing coming out of Bakugo. Like he just can't believe his eyes. He even asks the other like members of class one, a, like, did he have a complete personality change? Uh, because he, he just can't believe what he's seeing. Like finally, this guy that he knew his biggest weakness was that he wasn't a team player is now literally being the best team leader he's seen probably in this entire group of matches. Really? I mean, Bakugo is just taking lead and absolutely nailing it. Uh, and this causes Team B to retreat. I mean, they had talked amongst themselves and already said, like, okay, we can't take Bakugo one-on-one, and if we can't capture the rest of Team A immediately, we need to retreat and regroup. So they're trying to back off, um, and it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, Bakugo does not give them any second to do this at all. In the uh, manga, Monoma exclaims, you mean he's gotten character development? <laughs> About Bakugo. <laughs> that's, <funny. laughs> that's, that's, that's actually kind of like fourth wall breaking because I feel like I see the biggest complaint about Bakugo is that he's had apparently no character development. I feel yeah. like I see a lot of people say that. Like he's still just that angry bully from the first episode. And to borrow uh, Queen Jess's uh, turn of phrase of hers from the Discord, Baku Squad um, backs up Bakugo, who's out yeah. on the playing field and Kirishina and Kaminari are like, it's true, but this is the first time we've seen him do something so obvious as putting himself on the line for others but he's grown like he's different he's definitely improved and i like that part of you know bakugo is running his mouth uh especially at the end of this uh but also at the beginning he before this match began and he snuck up on all might and deku's little secret uh secret sesh and he was just like i've improved you know uh part of his mm-hmm. improvement i would argue isn't just he's gotten better with his quirk his leadership capabilities um but he's also beginning to work better with others. I think that definitely comes under his improvement umbrella. If only he could remember his classmates' names. That would be really useful, I feel like. I don't know, man. I kind of like Lobes. As much as I like Jiro, <laughs> man, when he calls her Lobes in the manga, it made me laugh out loud. And poor, I poor know. Jiro, this whole episode, she's kind of like, 
she's not she's not being passive aggressive, but she's being like she's defending herself, but in the background and very quietly when people say things about her or to her. Um, yeah, <laughs> which was a really cool kind of quirk about how she works in this episode apart out, outside of the battle personality quirk. Yeah. I really want to see Bakugo's full list of nicknames. Like, how how does he categorize everybody that he is around all the time? What does he think of them as, you know? Uh, but anyway, so we get this quick scene where Takage is talking to herself, and she's she's thinking about how, like, she was hoping that they could kind of overwhelm Bakugo and distress him out enough that it would kind of tire him out, and he would start making some silly mistakes. But they're not doing that. Like, Bakugo is just going right after them. And in fact, once Jiro kind of gets an idea on where everyone is at and tells Bakugo, he just flies after them. And I mean, he goes straight after Plamo. Uh, and it's funny because he is about to get him, and around a corner comes Awase, or Welder is his hero name. And he actually, like, welds Bakugo to this infrastructure kind of around him, like, takes his uh, his massive grenade gloves and, like, welds it to the walls around him. So he's immediately incapacitated. At least you think so. But then out of nowhere comes Sato, and he is able to do a sugar rush attack and break him free. And Bakugo's just got this, like, I mean, just nasty grin. Like, all right, this is how it's going to go down. And he just rushes right back after him. It doesn't, I mean, almost doesn't even stop. Yeah, and he, he definitely welds the gauntlets, but he also has some that are affixed to Bakugo's, like, torso. It looked like it was, like, impaling him. Yeah, it does. And I know, I mean, he, we know Awase can fuse or weld things to flesh because he did that with Momo at the summer camp. But I thought that his thing was he had to touch it. So is he just fused to Bakugo's shirt? Uh, these, these bars, cause that would feel like a waste of time, but it's, de- it's not depicted that way because when Bakugo goes flying off after uh, Sato sets him free, these things are like sticking out of, of his back rigid as if they are affixed to like his rib cage. Well, um, I think there's like blood later, like blood staining his shirt around those areas too. Oh, I might not have noticed that. I mean, his costume is like black too. So uh, I also, I think last or two episodes ago when um, Ayoyama was out on the field, I highlighted the fact that he just had an excellent scream when he got uh, picked up by Kuro Iro. <laughs> yeah. And Bondo has a super good scream in this one when Bakugo comes up on him. It's great. Oh, he it's, totally does. It's worth watching two or three times. <laughs> yeah, that would be a really good like ringtone. Yeah. Oh God, ringtones. We get to talk <laughs> about that again soon too. Yes, yes, we do, because All Might gets a phone call. Uh, it's crazy, too, because, like, in this scene, when he goes after Awase, I think Awase kind of loses his his cool, too, because he's like, oh, crap, like, here he comes. And he kind of, like, blasts over him, I guess. And it, you think that Awase is just going to get thrown into the ground, but no, Saro and Jiro are up above him and are able to take him out while Bakugo continues to chase after someone else. I mean, like, it's crazy how quick all of this happens. Yeah, and Awase is pretty, he does a pretty neat move. Like, it's hard to see. Um, watch, looking at it in the manga, maybe it's a little bit more clear. But he is able to, it looks like he takes part of his uniform off of himself and assembles it around him to kind of form almost like juggernaut looking, like bomb squad looking armor, uh, which is, it looks super cool. Uh, and he just gets bypassed by Bakugo entirely. Like he's bracing for a blast and Bakugo's like, Nope dog, you're not, you're not my target. I'm going to leave you to, uh, to the support characters behind me. And so Jiro runs in. Uh, and this is where we get back to that line where it's just like, when I'm in danger, you guys save me. Jiro runs in, plugs in her uh, speakers and uses her heartbeat surround attack or heartbeat sound blasts, uh, that I guess bypassed Awase's defenses. They at least, phase him enough for Sero to wrap them all up. Um, but Tokagi sees Bakugo is going after Bondo. 
And so she starts moving all her bits kind of around, I guess, to maybe intercept or, or come back to her so she can be more useful. And Bakugo does this awesome, like, blast all around. Like, if there were a sphere around Bondo, Bakugo, the only thing that didn't get blasted were the soles of his feet. Um, as Bakugo kind of launches himself down, it looks like from the ground uh, in front of Bondo all the way and around to the ground behind him. Uh, and Sato jumps in right after Bondo is stunned by this attack and gets him in an arm bar. And uh, Saro at that time has already taped up Owase. So they've got two completely subdued at this point. And then Jiro is like able to kind of pinpoint where Tokage is. And so she points him out and uh, Bakugo is, is like fighting off Jack Mantis, trying to keep him off Saro and ends up doing an X catapult and just like throws him into Timbuktu. And Saro is able to grab Jack Mantis and, and they've got him captured. So they're good with three down and all that's left is Tokage. And uh, this is where Saro's like realizing that somehow some of these pieces are regenerating and then other pieces are like going back to Takage, like almost as if she is getting tired. So instead of regenerating the pieces, she's just pulling some back is kind of the way it seems like he explains it. So he's wrapping some down so that way she's regenerating slower and then he attaches a grenade to one of the other ones. And when it goes back, it explodes and it just totally throws her off. She tries to duck dodge out of the way, but Baka goes right there and just absolutely wrecks her. I mean, it's like like, it had to be 100% blast right to the face. Yeah, it looks kind of like he charged up this like Kamehameha in her face in the manga. Totally. um, Two hands together and... Uh, yeah, she's she's having trouble. Sarah is run around and he's taping down these little bits, which had me wondering how in the world is the regenerating work? Because sometimes it looked like it was just teleporting back to her. So how would the tape stop that? Um, I don't uh, know. There was a lot of questions there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but she she's floating. So Jiro can't locate her. I mean, they have to find her visually because um, she's not making any sound, presumably because her quirk is the lizardy thing and also flotation, I guess. Uh, but the grenade goes off, which alerts them uh, audibly of where she is, which is pretty cool. Um, and she's all frustrated, too, because Baka goes on her in an instant and she accuses him of changing too much, to which he responds, I haven't. I've always had the same goal, which is to surpass All Might and be the number one hero. Uh, and so they're able to he knocks her out. I mean, it's it was quick and easy, um, uh, takes her out. And it's it's exclaimed that all this was done in under five minutes. And I like too when Baka says. I still have the same goal to surpass all might and be the number one hero that he's, he's also like implying um, in that, that he is also striving to be obviously better than Deku. I mean, he's all might's time has come and gone, but he's still up against what all might uh, all might's potential is in Deku, uh, which is kind of a neat wrinkle to, to what he's saying there. Yeah, it's also kind of interesting, too, because we, we don't really think about it or say it much, but he's also talking about being better than Endeavor. And yeah. I, I just like, you know, that's also kind of an interesting dynamic. I don't I feel like he may also look up to Endeavor the same way that he looks up to All Might. And he has the same kind of like rigid uh, attitude, you know, Aizawa gives everybody uh, from 1A a thumbs up, which is about as high a praise as, a, as uh, Aizawa is able to give anybody, I think. And he says, you guys didn't do any more damage than you had to. You secured him, uh, secured them quickly and captured them. Bakugo is the main focus with his mobility and combat ability was smart and he had great support. And Vlad is like, it was a solid plan taking into consideration past fight data, but you were too stuck on the plan. You should have been more flexible like Honanuki. Um, and uh, I think we had talked about how, uh, what, uh, uh, what's the name of the girl whose name I always forget in class B, Ibarra Shiozaki. Shiozaki. 
So remember when they lost and she was, she said something that was religiously tinged. Um, I can't remember what it was, uh, but uh, what's his name? Gosh, we're terrible at 1B names. Kamakiri says that we should just carve this loss into our hearts because he's knifey boy. So carve, of course. <laughs> I don't even think I picked up on that. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Well, you do get a quick scene here where All Might appears to be very, very proud of Bakugo, and he tells him that he got chills seeing him out there, like, being a hero. Uh, and Bakugo is just like, I mean, out of nowhere, he just tells Midoriya to heck off, pretty much. He's just like, get out of my way. And Midoriya is way over off to the side. He's like, I'm not even in your way. And uh, he tells Midoriya that he needs to catch up. And, uh, you know, at this moment, like, even Monoma is is kind of like congratulating Bakugo and, and being like, wow, like you did it. You improved. Like you look great out there. Uh, and we transitioned to Monoma and his team discussing how they're going to handle fighting off Midoriya's team. And they're talking about how they really think that the best way to probably do this is to just take out Midoriya first and then they can kind of let everyone else fall in. Um, and off to the side, I was talking to other teachers and he's explaining that how Shinzo reacts in this fight is really going to determine whether or not he's going to get accepted into the hero course. You know, his actions worked the first time around, but will they work this time? Can he continue to keep up this level? I liked uh, a little bit of that conversation between uh, All Might Deku and Bakugo too, because All Might tells Bakugo that he got chills watching him play, watching him at work. Yeah. And, uh, Bakugo's just like, you catch a cold or something? Like, he's just so dismissive of it. Um, it's so great. And then in the manga, when uh, when he, Bakugo, when he shouts out of the way, nerd, and Midoriya's like, I wasn't even in your way. In the manga, there's a word, there's the word reflex is just written right in front of Bakugo. Like, he, that's just his reaction to being around Midoriya, which is super great. That is pretty uh, funny. And at the end of their little banter, Midoriya tells Bakugo to just watch. You know, he's like, uh, you know, you'll you'll never beat me. I've got speed that you can't keep up with. and Midori's response was just watch me, which is how either this episode began with Bakugo kind of saying the same thing out loud, um, but out of earshot of Midoriya or how the previous episode ended. One of those two places, uh, Bakugo said basically the same thing. Watch me, Deku, or watch me, Midoriya, whichever way he referred to him. We end this episode with uh, Class 1A kind of talking about what they're going to do in order to fight against Class B. Uh, and it, it's kind of sad because Ochako and them are, are a little upset. Uh, it's it's Ochako, Mina, and uh, Mineta talking about how they're at a disadvantage because they're not attackers. You know, they're not brawlers. They're, their quirks are very different than the rest of uh, the party. And not just Deku, but against Class 1B as well. So they they're just feel like they can't quite size up, I guess. And Midoriya comes out of nowhere and is like, I'll be the bait. And he's seems to think that his quirk is totally okay, even though we've seen some interesting things with it. It's kind of been this thing they've kept bringing up. Uh, and he's like, ah, I'm not worried about it right now. And then the fifth match begins, and that leads us right into 98, uh, which is titled That Which is Inherited. And we pick up with a really interesting scene that I think you may have keyed in on a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I think a, maybe a couple episodes of ours ago, um, I was just theorizing i was going to conspiracy theories about who the traitor could possibly be given the way that midoriya's quote-unquote dream worked um and the strange sentience and awareness that it seemed to have uh so we we get this strange scene shift into this military-esque hq looking place that uh it is revealed to be tartarus the prison where they're keeping all for one and they the guards they're talking you know talking around the water cooler effectively they're watching cameras and apparently all for one moved and they're freaking out you know they're like i wish they'd hurry up and sentence this guy we we can't go on much longer like this 
uh, they they quote a Charlie Chaplin movie. For those curious, that the movie that uh, they quoted is a speech from uh, Monsieur Bourdieu, which is a Charlie Chaplin deal. Um, anyway, getting back to uh, what's going on here, they they're talking and they're giving us a little bit more background narrative too, because they say, you know, you remember Gigantomachia? We saw him. It's been like a season or two since we've seen him in yeah. the anime. He was like at the end of one of the seasons for like two seconds. Yeah. And so they say, you remember that guy? He's one of All for One's subordinates. He's like, listen, it's not just the League of Villains that are associated with this guy. We don't know how many sympathizers are out there. So we don't need to antagonize them. And All for One seems to hear this. And so he apologizes for troubling them. And he says, the memories made my body ache. I can hear my little brother's voice. Um, and again, I think that might be some credence to my conspiracy theory about how it is that they came to know the things that they did. Uh, but I'm not I'm I'm not saying that, you know, case closed, Watson. Uh, but I think that that was pretty compelling evidence to that end. Yeah, it seems like there's got to be some sort of a connection there. I mean, all of a sudden this quirk is stirring inside Midoriya. And now we're seeing all for one is also kind of having stirrings of his own. It just seems like there's got to be more to that. You know, he's got to know a little bit about what's going on. Uh, so we'll see. I'm interested in seeing that get played out. But we switch over to All Might getting a phone call from Gran Torino. And it made me realize that, like, I still have my ringtone set to All Might saying a phone call is here. And it makes oh, me so happy. Oh, you did that, actually? Yeah, I did that, like, years ago. I think uh, <laughs> one of our listeners, Coder Mike, back in the day, set that up, sent it in the Discord or something. And I immediately set that up, like, episode four or five. When that happened, you know, and I've had that's been my ringtone since. So that's awesome. I'm still pretty stoked about it. My ringtone is also a My Hero ringtone, but uh, I was talking about in the Discord that there's this awesome track that plays when things are hairy with somebody who is a villain or is playing the role of a villain. And it came up in one of the uh, anime episodes recently. And I, it took me like 10 or 15 minutes to find out the title of it because it's Japanese. It's like from the soundtracks to the to the anime. And it sounds so cool. And uh, so that's my ringtone right now. I mean, you'd have to be like paying good attention to the soundtracks, which you, normally I don't. But this one's just so cool sounding uh, that it, it got my ear. And so I, I threw two bucks at it. So my phone nice. would make that noise all the time. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, we get this information from Gran Torino where he explains that Nana Shimura never really talked a whole lot about the quirk, but she did have this one time where she mentioned a dream uh, where she saw like this dark, fuzzy shadow. And the shadow told her that the time has not yet come. And she never brought it back up after that. And he even admits that, like, you know, this is memory of an old man. So it may not be the most reliable. And I feel like we kind of have gotten mixed signals on Gran Torino. Like, he kind of does this weird, goofy thing where he seems to be totally out of it and like a total space cadet. And then all of a sudden, he's like right there with it and has all these good intentions and knows everything that's going on. So. I don't I don't know if we can trust his memory or not, but it definitely seems like whatever is happening to Midoriya, it is time for it to happen. It has finally, you know, whatever needed to happen has happened. And it's finally time for this quirk to like wake up. And I mean, upon hearing this, All Might does seem really disturbed. He's like kind of puzzled by it. I mean, he, he doesn't seem to understand what could be happening at all. He has no clue. Yeah, she basically explains that she had this dream and a dark fuzzy shadow that looked like a man stood in front of her. And he said that the time has not yet come. And that's all that she said, or at least that's all that Gran Torino could recall. Um, and All Might's kind of rude to him because, like, first, when he feels the phone call, he's like, hey, we're kind of in the middle of, you know, class. But Gran Torino, you know, 
continues on with dispensing the information. And then in the anime, All Might's kind of rude because he just says, he doesn't say bye before hanging up. He's just like, thank you, but we're in the middle of class. So, and then there's an ellipses and he just hangs up the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it was great. The way that it was subtitled out with the ellipses was, was super funny. I wonder, I was wondering where uh, Gran Torino was at. I mean, it looked like he was like in a law office or something or like a courtroom. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention to his background. I don't know. It, in the, it in the manga, it's not very, it's not very, there's nothing descript about it, so. Yeah, it just seemed very weird. I don't know. Well, Monoma is having a really interesting conversation with uh, Shinso, and he says, ever since I was little, people kept telling me that I can't be a superhero with that quirk, which is exactly what we heard Shinso say a while ago. Yeah. Uh, but the reason that they were telling Monoma that wasn't because his quirk was necessarily evil uh, the way that they believed Shinso's was by its nature, but because Monoma couldn't be a hero on his own. He had to be around other people, which I guess is true, but he, I mean, he would be around villains if he was trying to be a hero. So at the very least, he could be a copycat, you know, and, and you know, oh, you're, you've got a shark quirk now, so do I, um, if it works that way. I don't, we've never seen him manifest anything physically, right? Has he? I don't think so. Do you still uh, Kirishima's hardening at one point during the sports fest, or am I not remembering that right? No, that sounds uh, right, but I don't remember seeing his body really react. And, you know, the interesting thing, too, though, there is a bit of a point, and I, I, it's not been explained, but I can't imagine that Monoma is able to just pick up a quirk and immediately know exactly how it works. So it would benefit him to be around people whose quirk he knows. If he was on his own and fighting a villain, even if he did copy their quirk, there's no telling if he'd be able to use it right off the bat or not. So I don't... And it, because of his five-minute limit on retaining a quirk, if he's not around other people, he could be screwed pretty quick, really. Yeah. And he's... So he's definitely speaking Shinso's language, and he says, we both know what we can't do and know we have to embrace both good and bad to survive. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he then asks Shinso, how did you get Midoriya to talk at the sports fest? And Shinso says, well, I don't know... I didn't know what kind of person he was, so I just insulted his classmate. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, which is going to come back up shortly. And Monoma kind of continues. He says, in order to become heroes, we must always act like heroes. And if we don't, then we won't be able to win against power that can do anything. So we're similar, but not exactly the same as what we always admire. And he asks Shinso, don't you feel like your hopes and dreams are slowly becoming a burden or like a curse? Um, and I thought that that was a really interesting perspective. Monoma seemed like a different character during this discussion to me. It was a lot more in-depth. It wasn't just like this surface-level Monoma that we were kind of used to seeing, you know what I mean? It seems like he's kind of caught up in a lot of the looks of the classes. Like, he's really big on, like, hey, we're the class that's doing the... Keeping our heads down, doing a good job, and just studying, like, good students, while you guys are the ones that are troublemakers, you know? But this was very introspective. There is a lot more to it than than just this surface-level ideology of what a hero should look like, I guess. Um, and, and from here, we, we kind of switch back over to class one, a, uh, and they're talking about the matchup and they're, they're discussing how in this matchup, there's not a Jiro and Jiro's like, Oh, you mean the scout, you know, she's got to clarify for him. And, yeah. uh, they're like, well, because of that Deku's going to have to work a whole lot harder than Bakugo is going to, because they're not going to have that knowledge of the playing field. You know, it's going to be totally different. Uh, and this is when we, we transition into the fight. It's starting and Deku is just going to be flashy pretty much draw the attacks toward him. And then once he's got everyone focused on him, he's going to hope that the rest of his classmates are able to kind of fill in and, and capture these people. Um, and it's like out of nowhere, he has this possessed barrel thrown at him. And it's like this 
barrel that's just got this kind of like purple esh stuff around mm-hmm. it yeah uh, and and monomo's standing over to the side and just chucking things at him and just like berating him with verbal barrage <laughs> yeah and he he takes uh he ends up taking shinso's uh recommendation or his tactics uh in mind and to heart as he employs name calling against not just a classmate but bakugo once again Oh, yeah. uh, here in this particular discussion, but he has, I liked this too. This is a really cool, uh, series of events. So the first thing that happens is you, uh, Midori hears a scream off to the side and he pays it no attention because he understands Shinso's on the field. Uh, so you hear a scream and it could be Monoma, it could be Shinso, it could be Ochako. Um, but he, he, he's trying very intentionally not to cut his eyes in the direction where his teammates are to betray no, Intel uh, to Monoma or any of his teammates that might be watching what he's doing. And Monoma has a number of stopwatches in his hands, which I thought was a super cool addition to a suit. Makes all of the sense, right? Um, he can hold on to three or five quirks at a time for up to five minutes a piece. And so he's got these stopwatches to keep track of which ones are going to wear out and win, um, which is much better than just, you know, guessing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he is kind of playing this weird mind game with Deku and he's like, you know, we got to be careful of those that are strong that can move well like Bakugo, which maybe that's why you think I'm here or that the guy earlier was strong. Now talking about Bakugo, maybe Bakugo was strong because of the other three. So maybe we should go and crush them first. And it sounds like my teammates have already found your three, uh, kind of hinting that that scream was actually Ochako's. And uh, Deku's really smart. Uh, he knows that Monoma might have copied Shinso's quirk. There was this weird line from earlier where it sounded like Monoma wasn't sure if if he could copy Shinso's quirk, that there was a chance that it wouldn't work. Like it I would think he was misfire. talking about, I thought he was talking about Midoriya. Like was he, he? Yeah, I thought uh, he was, because there's a moment where he, he talks about having like a blank brain is what I think he, he calls it. And they clarify, like he may not be able to copy his quirk. And I assumed his was Midoriya's. That makes more sense. Um, so Deku is thinking all this through. He's, he knows that they wouldn't be able to communicate much. And Monoma knows that too. He says, they won't be able to communicate much. You need to go to them, uh, which I have in my notes is just a sleazy way for Monoma to be able to track him back. But Deku's smart, man. Um, he's, he, he's not playing that game. And so Monoma continues, if that scream was Shinso, you'd be leading us back to them. And when Deku betrays nothing. He just says, you're so heartless. You're not even glancing in your teammates' directions. <laughs> and he's like, listen, Midoriya's being the smart boy. Like, we always appreciate him being. He's he's thought this through, and he's disciplined about it, which is really hard uh, to, to be disciplined against reflexes, which is what Monoma is trying to take advantage of. Yeah, we even get like a kind of a flashback over to Ochaka and Mineta who have teamed up. They've it seems like she's levitated him and then he's like used his sticky balls to make this contraption where I guess he can go out and kind of survey the field and then come back and report. And as they're talking and Mina's talking, I think they have to remind each other like, hey, look at us, like look at each other when we're talking so we know who's saying what because they know Shinzo's on the field and at any moment they could respond to the wrong person. I mean, they've seen it happen. Uh, but Ochaka and Mineta have teamed up. They've got a little bit of reconnaissance going on and then all of a sudden <laughs> i've got in my notes that one of his balls have alerted them uh, it started like <laughs> vibrating it along this line and so they know something has either gotten trapped in it or they're coming after them uh and there's this just attack out of nowhere where like all these like nuts and bolts and screws and barrels and stuff hit them 
And then not only do they hit them, but we we see them being shrunk by one of the uh, Class B uh, teammates and being sent out towards them. And then they like expand and hit all of them again. I mean, it's like this crazy moment where we see the rest of Class 1B's team and their quirks and how they work. Uh, it's pretty neat. Yeah, and we get quick quirk intros for uh, Raiko Yanagi, whose hero name is Emily, which the trivia section on her wiki page says that that might be a playoff of uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose. That's what I figured. Um, yeah, so I, she's possession-based, kind of. Yeah, I did. Yeah, her quirk is called Poltergeist, I believe, which lets her control anything near her, but with a weight limit of the average person. And, I, and it's, to the show's credit, in the subtitles, average was in quotation marks, and I just have in my notes, that's super subjective. Yeah, like, <laughs> like average in what country? Yeah, in Japan or in America, because yeah. those are very different weights. And um, like, the average hero? How much how much do you think the average gets skewed because of like All Might and Endeavor? You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And then you have Yui Koda and her hero name is Rule, which makes some sense. Her quirk is just called size, I think. And she can change the size of thing anything that she touches, but it doesn't work on living things. And I just have in parentheses, or it would be that kind of anime if she could. <laughs> uh, so she shrinks down this oil can and she's been doing so with other objects for Yanagi. Um and then which is really I, smart because I'm assuming that means that the mass is smaller, therefore the item weighs less. So they're able, she's able to control way more objects. And then when it expands, she loses control. But I mean, it's expanding, so it's like, you know, totally unexpected and throwing them off off course. Yeah, I had a, questions about that in my notes. Uh, like, does that actually get around the weight limits, or is there conservation of weight, even though there's a reduction? you know, in size, does mass stay similar? Like it just becomes more dense. Um, I wasn't sure. And there were, there were weird, like visual oddities to me. Like at times they're flinging around like bolts and nuts. And when she releases them, they're ginormous. Is she making them big or I think so. Did she find gigantic nuts and bolts. <laughs> I think that, them down. I think she's able to make things big or small, right? So like she's shrinking some things down and then she's expanding other things. That's the way I read it. But she says release, that's the thing. Like release yeah. would be I undo the the shrinky or the or the uh the expanding. That's um, true. Anyway, it was a small detail I didn't really care all that much about. I just <laughs> made a note about it because sometimes you got to be nitpicky, but um Ochako gives all of these items a good padding. So they all just float there. But Shoda, the other uh, Class 1B character, Nirengeki Shoda, he speaks his magic words and sends them all flying once again because his quirk is called uh, Twin Impact and he can create a second impact at his discretion at any place he's already hit once. Uh, and the second impact has many times the force of the original. Um, and they say his hero name is Mines, M-I-N-D-Z, which I thought was super dumb. Um According to his Wikipedia page, it's Mines, M-I-N-E, in the Jap in the Japanese, which I like better. Um, huh. The Z just seems weird. It seems like it's straight out of the, like, X-Men comics from the 90s. Um, so I, I really didn't like that. But I was just going to say, did you notice that he, his, like, he has this radar that is literally a dragon radar? Yeah, and he's got a scouter. Yeah. I thought that a lot of his, I think I called him Saiyan Boy or something in something, an original. Yeah. Because his armor looks like uh, old school Saiyan armor. It totally There's, does. It's really hard not to see Dragon Ball all over this kid, that's for sure. Yeah. What's really weird about his quirk, though, and something I kind of don't get. So if if Yanagi was the one that was controlling the items and Koda was the one that was shrinking them or making them big, 
he never caused anything to impact with anything. Like he wasn't the one controlling these items that caused them to hit in the first place. So how did his quirk work to, to hit again? Do you know what I mean? To cause that second impact? I supposed that they just had, and I don't know where this time came from, but I think that they took a lot of time to set this up. Like maybe, maybe they had all of this junk and he's just running around punching it before uh, Yui comes around and shrinks it. And then Yanagi starts flinging it around. Like it seemed like that was had to have been the series or the orders of events, given how it was visually depicted. Because you're right, we never see um, Shoda touch any of these items. So he had to have touched them that way first. Well, there's this other thing where he has this radar and it shows all these little red dots, which I'm assuming were the items that Yanagi were controlling. And somehow he's able to figure out where the rest of Class 1A is because of that. I guess maybe he was listening to them and reacting based off where their screams were coming from. I don't know. Some of that was just seemed kind of weird, but he was able to figure it out, I guess. Yeah, uh, I assume that his devices let him see which of the items he could he exerted his quirk upon. I don't know how in the world that happens, but that was the vibe that I got. Yeah, it's interesting. But we switch back over to Monoma and uh, Deku fighting, and Monoma's really trying to get Deku like fired up, and he even goes out to the extent of saying that you know Bakugo is the reason and was responsible for ending the symbol of peace, and this like really sets Deku off. I mean, you, there's even this like visual representation in the anime of something like snapping inside of him, like he, something's heating up or something, and out of nowhere he just has this like crazy power coming out of his hands, and it, they kind of look like black tentacles like the spell from D&D, if you've played Pathfinder or D&D, uh, is what I imagine it to look like. And right out of the bat, he cannot control this power at all. Like, it's just something he, he has no idea where it's coming from. He doesn't know what to do with it. He even tells Monoma to, to run. He's like, you got to get out of the way. And he just starts wrecking buildings around him, and he gets thrown into the building that Shinzo was hiding out at. And he even he warns Shinzo, like, you've, you've got to get out of here. You're going to get hurt. And Shinzo seems totally frozen. I mean, this is like just absolutely coming out of nowhere and wrecks this this fight. I mean, it's not at all what he wanted. And, and Midori is freaking out. He can't control this. He he doesn't understand wh- what's happening. And he starts actually attacking other classmates. And he I don't think he necessarily knows it, but he knows that he's lost control. Uh, and All Might tells Aizawa and Vlad, like, hey, we got to stop the fight. Something's off. Um, and, and so we get this Midoriya scene where he's he's upset and he's like, flashbacks to to him working up to getting the quirk and then like slowly getting this power over it and he's gained so much control and here it is freaking out he's losing power and and he feels like he shouldn't be like why is this happening to him you know and out of nowhere ochako clings on to him and and is trying to help trying to calm him down man what a what what a gal you know like what what a great friend so couple things about all of what you just covered. Um, one, I love that Midoriya's reaction to his loss of control is still heroic. Oh, yeah. He's like, y'all need to get the heck up out of here. And he is screaming for everybody to run. Um, and yeah, we, we see these these tentacles whipping around. Um, they, they come close to his classmates. They, in, they even like throw him into a building at one point. So it is wildly out of control. Um, so I love that. Um, I love too that this this felt like the most peril that we've seen anybody in for a good while. Um, so I liked that. You know, you know, it's fun seeing these the the class one A and one B stuff, but it hasn't felt truly perilous at all. So we get that part back where somebody is in like for realsies danger. 
Um, and it is depicted extremely well. I mean, these mm-hmm. whips are, they're whipping out, they're breaking things, they're along, they're towering over this cityscape that they're in such that uh, his other classmates are able to see them from a distance. And then you get this moment where Ochako leaps through these tentacles and grabs a hold of Midoriya and tells him that he needs to calm down. And I have, I think I've gotten teary-eyed one other time in the course of this show. Um, it was probably during Hero 2 because, hot damn, that was such a good episode. Um, that song is so dope, and the way that they did that was super cool. Um, but I definitely, when Ochako jumped in and grabbed a hold of him, I got a little misty-eyed. Um, that was just very powerfully done. And then the way that they go about explaining it was even cooler. Uh, she has this her own little like flashback. Uh, even before she starts yelling for Shinso, at least in the anime, this things happen in a slightly different order in the manga. Um, but she says that her parents always look so tired, you know, they're in the construction industry and things have been tough. And, uh, so it was plain for her to see, it was painful rather for her to see them like that. And so she says that the first time that she saw somebody doing hero work, uh, then she was paying less attention to the act than she was to the way that the bystanders were reacting to it, specifically her parents. She says, I liked how everyone looked so happy. And she's she's explaining that that's why it was normal to help people who were in trouble. And she uses, there's this beautiful scene. Oh my gosh, I so love this. This whole thing is so well done. Because uh, there's this two-second scene where she just uses her float quirk to help an old lady who had, who had taken a fall back onto her feet. Uh, I loved that. Uh, she says, but something so normal could also be really hard. And she starts seeing Midoriya, uh, you know, versus the rescue bot in the uh, the entrance exams and Midoriya versus overhaul with Aerie when he was at 100 percent. And she says, because I watched him fighting so desperately to help those in trouble, it made me wonder who protects the heroes when they're hurting. And he's still freaking out, even with her at his side, and uh, he's out of control, and she shouts for Shinzo to use brainwashing to stop him. And Shinzo does, and it's pretty cool, because he's kind of frozen in place, really, initially. Like, he's totally in shock, doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to handle this. Uh, and he removes his mask after kind of collecting himself, and he screams out, like, you know, Deku, fight me! And Deku is uh, like trying not to talk. Almost it seems like he's he, like he cannot physically do anything. And then he's able to get out. Yeah, uh, so he responds and like I mean like that just shuts down. His court completely shuts down. His eyes go like ghost white. And then we we see this awesome scene where Deku is once again in his like mindscape, and his his hands are materialized and his upper head is kind of materialized and maybe his feet, but for the most part his body is kind of grayed out in this like fuzzy mistiness uh and we see this vestige of one for all appear in and he, he kind of looks like um oh we're gonna call him gunhead he's not gunhead what's his name death uh, arms death arms yeah he kind of looks like death arms but like we don't really know who this guy is i don't think i don't think we really know anything about him uh, i do do you really okay did you yeah, look up things? Up. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> his name is Daigoro Banjo, and his hero name is Lariat for obvious reasons. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I like that. He's kind of pissed off. He's got an attitude about him, too. And he's like, what did we tell you? Like, we told you that we were here with you. You're not alone. What are you doing? And he's like, the time's ripe. Take it now. Like, he's just kind of going on and on and telling Deku to kind of get with it. Uh, and he tells him he got it wrong, you know? And he's like, this power is is not something that you can use now without thinking. And, and he tells Midori he's got to work harder. You know, you got to do your best. Um, and and he, he says that, like, 
you have got to control your heart with this quirk. Like there's more to it than you realize. And in between this, we, we kind of get a few scenes where Deku is realizing that like, there are literally spirits living with inside him now. Like these are living, conscious, breathing things, uh, that there's a lot more to this power than he realizes. Yeah. He says, this is not a vestige or a shadow and it's not a dream. This man, these people are living inside one for all, which is in him. Um, and, uh, I, it made me think back to when, uh, Nana Shimura says that she would see all might again. She wasn't being all like dreamy or optimistic or even religious. She was basically being like, even based on what she had known of her quirk, she's like, no, like for realsies, we're going to see each other. Yeah. Like one for all is, it is a, it is a home with many bedrooms, my sir, my sir. Uh, and you're, you've got one. And so he sees, uh, the first owner, four more, including this guy, um, and also Shimura, and then you see kind of the All Might Wraith, like he's still like a fire entity looking thing. And then the two shadowy ones are still back there that we don't know really anything about, um, which is pretty cool. And uh, this guy who I'm, I wanted to not call him this guy the whole time. That's why I looked him up. So we can call him Banjo. Uh, Banjo says that he's worried that his time is running out. It, it's almost like he's effervescing. He feels like he's being blown away a little bit. And he says, all right, the power that you just used was my quirk and our quirk factors mixed into the core of one for all. Um, and it's always been a part of that, but this core is kind of growing and it's pulsating and you've noticed those pulsate, uh, those pulsations. He says the origin of the power is wrapped in this cultivated power. And so right now it's becoming larger, starting to move. Um, and Deku is thinking, you know, what does that mean is going to happen? And Banjo explains, well, earlier you were thinking about capturing that guy, right? Well, my quirk is the best for doing that. Um, so it manifested. Um, he says that his quirk is called black whip, uh, and then he brags on it a little bit. He's like, you're lucky I was the first one. I've got a good quirk. Uh, and I was like, man, he just throws some shade at the I other know, quirks that are in this. He's like, yeah, wait, wait till you see that, guys. <laughs> yeah. And so he's like, it, my quirk has got this additional power now, one for all. It's way stronger even when than I had it. So you need to understand that like, if you use your power in anger, that power will react to that. It'll make it stronger, but you still have to learn to control it. Um and he reaches his hand into Deku, like pushes his hand inside of him. It looks like in the anime. It's super weird visual. But he says it's okay to get mad. Anger is the source of that power. But that is exactly why you have to control it carefully. He says after going through eight people, one for all has become incredibly strong. And you're going to have six more quirks manifest in you, which checks out, um, you know, because first quirk, just one for all standard would have been uh, the original holders. Right. Um, you know, you all might didn't have one that tossed into any of this stuff. And then you have the six others, um, Deku being the ninth. So he says, you're, you're gonna have to master using all of this stuff. Uh, you're the one who will complete one for all, which I thought was interesting again, in part because Deku brought nothing to one for all himself. Supposedly. Um, yeah. Supposedly. Unless maybe uh, what then, he is bringing to the table is the mastery of all these quirks. I mean, we know that Midoriya does kind of have that like crazy level of, uh, attention to quirks. And just that heart. I mean, he, the guy uses, Banjo uses that frame, that word heart a lot. And heart has always been something that All Might has noticed and talking to us and spoken to regarding true. Deku. Yeah, that's true. Um, so maybe that's what it was. It was, it was this Deku is the vessel that they've been waiting for specifically because of his heart um, and his, you know, capabilities around or involving it somehow. It's very Kingdom Heartsy, all of a sudden, if you know anything about yeah. the Kingdom Hearts universe. Yeah. Uh, 
but Deku is slapped out of this uh, this yeah. particular dream by Ochako. So this is, I think this is the second time that she slapped him. The first time was during the, the uh, entrance exam when she smacked him right before he fell uh, to the ground. Uh, so she slaps him back into consciousness and self-control. And she's so freaking sweet. Oh my gosh. It made me want to vomit. It wouldn't have been rainbow and as cool as hers, but she just asks him if it hurt after she slaps him. And I'm like, God <laughs> dang it. She's so damn sweet. She is. She yeah, is. she's so great. She cares um, so much I, about him and you can really tell. Yeah. And uh, Deku doesn't, he apparently didn't realize that time had passed. So he's freaking out. He wakes up almost like he was being awoken from a nightmare. And he's like, you still need to run. It's dangerous. And he notices that Ochako is even sporting some battle damage. And so... Now it's his turn to be all sweet. And he's like, oh, I think he realizes that that probably came from him. And so he's trying to be compassionate towards her. But they get interrupted by Manoma because Manoma's like, hey, nobody blew the whistle, bro. Like this, this fight's still on. Manoma didn't even give them two seconds. Like literally their feet touched and Manoma's out of nowhere attacking them. Like, hey, I've got two seconds left on this quirk. I got to I got to use it. You know, like he's not wasting any time. But Ochaka puts him down. I mean, she uses gunhead martial arts and protects Deku. Uh, And then at this point, like the rest of, of Team B is just freaking out. And they're just like firing all these random parts and pieces all over the place, trying to get any semblance of control back over the situation. Uh, Mineta and Mina start attacking and there's just this full on brawl. And I love this scene because they like do a still shot and Mineta's in the forefront. Mina's in the background. I think Deku's off to the right. Like everyone's in it. It just looks so cool. Uh, so I'm excited to see what is about to happen because Deku is like kind of nervous. He doesn't really know what's going to happen. Are, are more quirks going to pop out all of a sudden? Uh, is he going to be able to control this one? We don't know. Uh, yeah, but- and the scene, scene, the scene seems really frantic, but Midoriya and Ochako are just kind of chilling out and watching from a nearby rooftop, yeah. <laughs> like at the end of this episode. Yeah. De- Deku's even on his butt, like he is sitting cross-legged, um, and he's where he's thinking, you know, I can't hurt everyone again. Uh, and he's, he's back to that place of hesitancy of even using any part of One for All, let alone this Black Whip stuff. And a piece of capture tape whips out towards Ochako. Uh, and he intercepts that. And then we kind of cut to Vlad and Aizawa and, and uh, Jinko Jean's All Might, who are all lurking in the shadows nearby. And Aizawa's just like, you know what? Let's let's wait. Let's see how this plays out. Uh, and then the credits roll. I'm excited to see how it plays out. I think uh, next week's episode is going to be a good one. I'm, You know, in the credits, it, they for the like preview for next week, they made it look like Deku is immediately going to be able to control this new power, which if he does, I'll be kind of bummed about. Like, it, it, it would... It would just take away from the fact that it just caused this mass chaos if he all of a sudden can just control it. But I am excited to see what other powers he's going to get. I mean, we know he's going to get a chock full of quirks now. That's kind of cool. And it- Yeah, we also get a glimpse of what looked to be Shinso doing some training with Aizawa, so maybe we get some flashbacks in that department too. I hope so. I, You know, it's it's neat. I'm I'm excited to see a lot more about All for One. It's just such a cool... Or one for all, sorry. It's just such a cool quirk, and I think we've had so many questions about it since the get-go, and now we're getting some of them, and it's it's cool to see it all pieced together. To close this week, uh, we had invited listeners and conversationees in uh, in our Skype Discord, or Skype Discord, in our Discord, to submit uh, unique ideas for support items for anybody from 1A or 1B. And so we had several people uh, chime in on the Discord. Uh, one 
person hit us up on on the Twitters with a tweet. Uh, and then Adam and I both uh, bought a couple to the table. So if you don't mind, Adam, I would like to start with our uh, followers and yeah. their, their submissions first. I'm excited to hear about You guys always go with the coolest stuff. Like every time we get uh, submissions from the listeners, all of our friends out there, we, we get to hear some pretty neat ideas. So uh, on Twitter, we had a gentleman uh, named Philip hit us up. And he said, for 1A, armor to fit Ojiro's tail. Oh, that's one of the ones I've got. Oh, is it? Oh, yes. yours is one of yours is literally armor. Yeah, well, I, I've got written down like some sort of impact resistant tail armor. Like, why does that guy not like got full plate mail on his tail? You know what I mean? Might have proven useful against uh, Mister Twisty Bits. Absolutely, uh, some sort of week. protection. I mean, we knew that the guy was pretty strong with his tail, but come on, it's just bare skin. Like, beef up, bro. Yeah, and he ended up getting horned hard in his tail. Yeah, that all sounds super weird, but it was the it was the only phrasing I could come <laughs> up with in the moment. <laughs> Even though I had that uh, visual very firmly in my mind. It's episode that, 79, I worded it. Horned Hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> horned Hard in the tail. Um, he goes on and says, uh, sound-based propulsion boots for Jiro, which is a super cool Oh, idea. that is really cool. I like that a lot. And that could double as an attack, because anything below her or behind her at that point would then be getting sonic damage done to them. Yeah. Uh, shoulder cannons for Bakugo that uses sweat, uh, kind mm. of like uh, maybe conjured up some images of um, of uh, War Machine in my head. The way that those things might work, which is pretty cool. Uh, he maybe an electric uh, an electricity conductive bow staff or whip for Kaminari, and that was actually one of mine. Uh, I I had for Kaminari that he should have something kind of like Takeda Takahashi from uh, Mortal Kombat X, who has these what are called bladed whips. Um, kind of, if you know what, uh, shoot, um, Omega, uh, Omega red also had something yeah. similar or whiplash. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're, you're talking like that. Iron Man villains right there for sure. Yeah. So something like that I thought would be a really good, that, that just gives, that gives him, uh, a little bit of zoning ability. Like if you get in close to him that he doesn't have to do the 1.5 billion volts or whatever it is and be a dummy, he could channel less electricity and, and have something that is also, uh, does like bludgeoning damage. I think that that would be a really good upgrade for Kaminari. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. Those are some definitely good recommendations. Oh, he ain't done. Oh, uh, a grappling hook for Uraraka. Uh, so that if she made herself float that she could maybe, uh, I was thinking that maybe this was kind of like the systems that they use in attack on Titan or not Titan attack on. Yeah, what's the one that you're on, watching? Attack on Titan. It is attack yep, on Titan. Yep. yep. The ODM um, gear. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that that maybe is what he was describing, which I liked. I like that as a concept as well. Give her some some ability in the air. Uh, and then you also, let's see, he went on. I'll try to come up with, uh, nope, I'm sorry, I'm reading ahead. For 1B, some form of size-changing knuckle dusters or gloves for Kendo. Uh, maybe some sort of spore machine for Kamori to store her spores for later usage. Uh, he says spiked toe shoes for Kaibara, which is so stinking funny. You know the toe shoes? You know what you know what he's talking about? Are those the shoes with like coverings for each individual toe? Yeah. <laughs> so you give him shoes like that and then put the little drill bits on the end and oh. he can make each of his toes spin. You know, so that was... that's really gross for like 50% of people and a huge turn on for the other 50%. Yeah. <laughs> Kaibara's going to rock him according to Philip. <laughs> um, some sort of martial weapon for Tetsu Tetsu. Uh, just so he's not maybe bare, uh, barehanding everything. And then some sort of oxygen machine for Subara. And that was the one that I thought, I thought that he was talking about Juzo Hononuki um, when I first read that to give him the ability to kind of breathe in whatever material he's moving through. 
Um, but Subaru is the guy that hardens the the air that he breathes. So I guess maybe this this is something that would give him like an artificial expansion to his lung capacity. Maybe that's what um, Philip was referring to there. Maybe because it says that he can solidify any air he breathes out. So maybe it would allow him to breathe out more air or something. Hmm, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, Tomac in the Discord said that Jiro could do uh, with a collapsible baton, which she could plug into at the handle, so that when uh, that she could use it to transmit sound waves directly through her opponent. Oh man, that is devastating sounding. That is super cool. That is cool. I like that. Can like, you imagine just, if they were like sharp and she was to stab them with it and then send sound waves? I mean, she could like implode them. Yeah. I like that idea a super lot um, that it 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 gives her a, a physical point of contact. I mean, I guess I guess that she could just I mean, we've seen her do it with Mineta. She could just stab people with her ear jacks um, and maybe she's able to do the sound that way. But a baton would give her way. Well, I don't know how she, long she can she her ear jacks extend out. Well, I mean, she's hooking into things right now that are producing sound waves. So if it was using the same design and it was just pointy instead of blunt, I think it would still yeah. work. Yeah, I was just saying how I wonder if if the wiki says exactly how long her actual cords can extend. Well, I don't think they would necessarily have to because on the end of it could be like a lance that just has a plug that like an extension cord that comes out of the bottom, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that idea a lot. Super good idea, Tomac. That is Um, a cool idea. Ness, uh, Mr. Mr. Binge Watching and My Hero Strongest Hero playing extra uh, like extraordinaire has <laughs> he has become the the biggest my hero fan in the shortest amount of time um uh, he says i'll try to come up with a better equipment combo but this latest episode has me thinking that tetsu tetsu should rock some sort of heating coil bracers to do some hard hitting damage when he turns metal with the addition of some fire damage so he's like hey let's let's basically make it a todoroki and tetsu 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 team up all the time where he can flip a switch and his hands become red hot. I mean, I imagine that he could probably hook up some sort of a battery or something to a bunch of coils, kind of like a vaporizer that like, you know, a lot of people do the vaping now. It would be yeah. the same concept that he could just be the coil. So he could hook up some sort of battery and then press a button to connect everything and heat himself up in the matter of seconds. That yeah. would be wicked. That That is such a cool idea. I love that idea. Although I'm he a little also... disappointed that he doesn't have one for Mineta, unless you're about to tell me one. No, he d- he doesn't have one for Mineta. He submitted an, uh, his last one was for Tokoyami. He said maybe some sort of clasp or brooch for Tokoyami that can produce light to keep Dark Shadow from going out of control, almost like a uh, in in case of emergency break glass thing um, for oh, Tokoyami. That's a cool idea. I like that. Uh, in Dark Shadow. Yeah, I like, I like that. that. So what did you come up with? Uh, so I had one for Kuro Iro. Um, I, I really liked that that character a lot. I thought he was a really neat character, and his his quirk in general is really cool uh but we saw one of its biggest weaknesses was when aoyama was firing off all of the uh, light blasts it was like he had nowhere to escape to but i feel like we could easily solve that with some sort of like uh, either the like rescue scarf that aizawa wears and now shinzo wears or maybe he could use some sort of like um I almost want to say like a web shooter, but with paint or something that is that Venta black. Oh, yeah. So that way, if he's stuck in a scenario where there aren't any shadows, he could just create his own. Like the scarf, he could, if it's the Venta black stuff, he could connect it to whatever else and he could use it to travel through or he could use the shadow that it creates. And the same thing with like a web slinger. I mean, it would be similar to Spider-Man where he slings a web out and then he has the shadow he could connect to or because it's made of that like Venta black, which absorbs almost all light, I would imagine 
imagine he'd be able to actually jump into that as well. So I feel like you could have a lot of opportunities to create his own getaways with just a few extra accessories. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty good. Uh, I had the the idea of tail armor for Ojiro, which I think is really, uh, I think that's an obvious one, right? Like, I, I hate that he does not have anything for his tail. Like, how did he not think of that? The guy's just wearing like a a, a, a karate outfit, like a kimono or something. Is that, I guess, is that a kimono? I don't know. Uh, uh, no, that would be a gi. A gi. That's what I'm thinking of, not kimono, a gi. But I don't, I'm just surprised he doesn't have more protection. You know, that thing's got to be sensitive, right? Um, and then my last one, I, I think this would be really cool. Um, and I kind of envision it happening or, or working two different ways. Uh, we saw it in this episode where Midoriya attacked Monoma and he did like a couple of quick burst shots using his like finger flicks. It would be really neat if where his gloves are expanding to, I guess, allow for better airflow. There was also some sort of like HUD that came up with that and it showed him the target and had like a lock on system and like could connect to his fingers and help with locking on and hitting certain spots and maybe increasing his accuracy instead of just, you know, basically flicking a whole bunch of blasts all at once. He could have incredibly accurate ones, either that or if it was some sort of like visor system that gave him like a heads up display that he could use that connected into that same system. I think that would be really useful for Midoriya, but he could also use like a utility belt that has grenades and like cherry bombs and like all kinds of little things like net traps and stuff that he could flick with his finger. Like if he had the same abilities that, or if he could get someone that could, if he could get someone that could utilize, um, Mr. Compress's abilities, he could do a lot of really cool things with like shrinking down objects and storing them like a Batman utility belt and then popping them out later. That's true. He has, does he not have a belt in his newest costume? I felt like he did. He does, and it looks like it's got a couple of pouches, but I assume that's probably for like first aid stuff. That's probably true. He doesn't have uh, Todoroki's penises hanging around his, ba- uh, no, his belt. No, <laughs> So I came up with the the bladed whips kind of thing for Kaminari, as did Philip um, from Twitter. Thank you, Philip. Um, I had for Coda, you know, Coda, I feel like his quirk can be l- pretty limited really easily. Um, I thought that it was kind, you know, c- kind of on the very outside edge of his ability to to be able to, sp- his, his quirk is limited by how well he is heard. Like, it has a range. And they're, could be times where he is going to be out of vocal range for of any animal. And so figuring out a way to fix that would be nice. And just projecting his voice isn't necessarily the best tactic because then he loses all tactical surprise. So I thought that what Coda needed is a combat or a patrol dog. Um, you ever seen those, you know, the military has been using dogs in combat for a long time. Um, and they even, there's even this meme where, uh, I mean, it was a real picture of SWAT members or uh, soldiers deployed somewhere that actually have dogs that are like quick clipped to their uh, to their molly systems um, where they can release them. And they're trained to do all sorts of things, sniff out bombs, attack terrorists, whatever the case may be. So Coda just needs a dang combat dog that he takes with him into uh, into, you know, into into the fight. Now, it does come at the risk of that dog being injured. Uh, so there is that. I don't know that Coda would go along with it, but I think that it would be a very, a relatively easy fix for him um, to have something like that. He gets turned into a Pokemon trainer real quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then for Sue, I'm I interested think in hearing that, this. I want to know because I, I brainstormed a, like an item for Sue, and I couldn't come up with anything. It's it's super simple. It it addresses a problem that I fear on Sue's behalf. She shouldn't have to taste everything that she licks. 
She needs a tungdom. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> she needs some sort of covering for her tongue. Yikes. So that she does. I mean, it has to be able I mean, you're to. Not, st- you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to make it so she doesn't taste stuff. Like that's what she needs. Figure it out. Uh, you know, power loader. You need to figure it out and, and save Sue from having to lick and, and also taste everything and everybody. Poor, that's what she needs. Girl. A tungdom would, would um, uh, it's tungdom TM. Like, that's what I'm calling it if they ever give her something like that. <laughs> you need to write Horikoshi now. He'll make it. That sounds like something he'd come up with. Yeah. <laughs> all right. That's all I got uh, for, for this week's episodes. Uh, same here. I guess we'll see everyone in two weeks. We will. We went a little long, but, uh, you know, a lot of stuff happened. Uh, even though episode, uh, the first episode that we watched, 97, it felt very fast. There was a lot to talk about there. And good Lord, even more to talk about 98. Um, I'm super excited to see these other six quirks. I mean, we know that these whip things are going to be a thing. What are the other six? And how is Deku going to use them? How long does it take to master them? When are they going to manifest? Um, All these are good questions that have arisen as a result of uh, episode 98. And I'm here. I'm here for all that. Yes, I'm excited. I cannot wait. And we will, I guess, discover it with everyone. I mean, this is awesome. This is new material, right? This is, well, I think we've all theorized what, people fighting other people would look like but this is like deep how do quirks work what is what is happening here this something was set up hundreds of years ago and now we're seeing the fruition of it and it's really cool yeah and it's affirming some of the larger questions that we had about one for all i think really since the second movie when we were just like it does it have a brain yeah um and now <laughs> now yeah it it kind of does and when we're seeing not even kind of it has it has seven brains in there um, because presumably All Might still has his, even though he's a weird fire uh demon inside of uh, One for All currently. So yeah, I mean it's just cool. It's cool seeing some of the stuff that we've theorized and uh about previously and for a long period of time kind of come around. And and kudos to the people in Discord who know all these things that we're finding out because they have read ahead in the manga and haven't spoiled any of this stuff. They're just letting us have this ride. And then they're excited when they can talk about it. So yeah. uh, major, major kudos to you guys. You're, you're keeping this supremely fun for us. Our so. disco, our discord friends are the best. Like it's they so are. awesome. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't been able to be super chatty in there recently, but I am following along with every discussion. It's great. If you're not in our discord, you need to come hang out with us and, and talk my hero and all the other animes. I've been rewatching a lot of older stuff. Uh, I, I'm all caught up on Attack on Titan. I've been watching Jujutsu Kaisen, so hop in there and let's talk some anime. Yep, plenty of room left in our Discord. It's it's even more roomier than one for all. <laughs> we got we got all the rooms. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we'll see you in a couple weeks. See ya. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash BackPatioNetwork. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. 